Um, I think where you are not um, able to feel authentic and um, like you are being yourself in a genuine sense, I think a big thing that you lost is the connections that that supports you to feel with other people. I think because you feel like you're in a little bit of a silo and you don't have those opportunities to work with other people, but being able to feel more free and open and authentic just opens up so many possibilities. It allows you to work uh, more authentically with your colleagues, with people that you might interact with outside of school, um, and indeed with the young people that you work with. I think it provides all kinds of opportunities for thinking about, you know, genuine connections with your colleagues across the school and beyond. And I think that it's just a really, really exciting thing to, to be. I feel very, very lucky to be um, a gay man. Like, I love it. I think it's fantastic. And um, feeling authentic and honest and open about yourself and your own identity is just a great thing. Hi, I'm Adam. Hello, I'm Joan. Welcome to Pride and Progress, a podcast that celebrates the progress of LGBT plus inclusion in education. In each episode, we speak with LGBT plus people and allies. We hear their stories, discuss what they're doing to make educational spaces more inclusive and celebrate the power of diversity. Hello and welcome to Pride and Progress. This week, we are delighted to welcome Nick Kitchener-Bentley to the show. Nick uses he, him pronouns and is a secondary lead practitioner and teacher of drama, inclusion and English. Nick is the drama subject specifically tutor for Coventry University's National Institute of Teaching and Education and has an interest in LGBTQ plus inclusion in education, working with LGBT ed as part of their steering group. Nick, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for welcoming me. Lovely to be here. <laughs> um, now... Nick, you and I have never spoken before, but I am a, a lurker of Twitter. Um, anyone who's <laughs> listened to the podcast before will know that I am embarrassingly addicted to Twitter. Um, it's how Adam and I met. It's how this podcast started. It's that kind of grassroots educational space that I do find really interesting. And I think I think I've followed you for pretty much as long as I've been using Twitter to do with education. And when I started to kind of step into this work around kind of DI and, and, and inclusion within education, you were one of the first people who I saw tweeting about this. I think it was like kind of conversations with you and LGBT Ed on Twitter. How did you get into that kind of space? Mm, it's a really like I, I agree with you about Twitter I think it is just fantastic and I find it really hard not to get too kind of hooked on it and using it all of the time but I think the reason for that is because it is so good like it is a really really valuable tool um, and one that yeah I think in terms of like education in all kinds of ways it can be really helpful it was actually through a conversation with my deputy ed teacher one of my former deputy ed teachers um, who was saying to me um, you know teacher Twitter is the thing and I thought well oh okay that sounds quite interesting and I thought well let's give it a go and let's see what happens and I had it for a little bit and I I didn't really use it a great deal I kind of went on it and saw you know a few conversations happening and then as I kind of got more and more into it I found that there was useful content there in terms of like my subject and more broadly about education but I saw that there were these opportunities to start to form networks and people discussing um, relevant topics around diversity and, uh, diversity and inclusion and I thought well that's going to be really important that's going to be something that's quite helpful for me um, this is something I want to 
get more into, I want to learn more about, I want to contribute towards discussions as well. And from that, yeah, I suppose I just thought this is something that's going to be really helpful for me. So yeah, I, there were lots of people, lots of voices out there that I thought would be really interesting to hear from. And, you know, I think one of the first ones that I started to follow was the LGBT History Month account and Schools Out and Sue Sanders. And that was really helpful. And from there, I, I, I suppose it just kind of snowballed from there, really. Like there were more and more opportunities to talk to people and have those conversations. And um, yeah a really really valuable resource that I would massively encourage people to use and um, from there you know we then um, started to hear about the diverse educators network and diverse ed and that's something obviously that was set up by Hannah and Benny who I know you've had on before and um, utter legends you know really really great people who have fantastic um, kind of reach and Im impact really beyond their own spheres and it was it was through those kind of things that I decided that I really wanted to go into this and find out more information. So yeah, I mean, I can talk more about that as well because that they are just absolutely brilliant and, and they were fantastic. But through the Diverse Ed Network, um, I went with some of my colleagues from my own secondary school um, to attend their first inaugural big event that they had that Hannah and Benny uh, put together. And from that, that was the launch of the LGBT Ed uh, Network as well um, with Daniel and Hannah. And they spoke about why they Thought it was a really important opportunity and an important space to operate in really and from that I got more and more involved and followed the LGBT ed account and got involved with some of the work that they were doing and um, yeah I think like you're kind of hinting at there Joe it's, it's very very powerful and it's very very valuable and um, I would certainly encourage people where possible to use that yeah yeah I definitely want to talk about kind of your work with LGBT ed and with diverse educators as well but I think this kind of Twitter space, I find it really interesting. I, I was told to join almost as like a performance management thing. Like my head, my head teacher, my first year of teaching said, this will be really powerful for you. You should join. Shout out to Andy Moore. He's an absolute powerhouse in education. Brilliant man. Um, and I, I kind of got involved in it. And it's such a, there's so much free sharing of great resources on there and of great thinking and great conversations. And it almost feels like um, an extension of the staff room in, in some ways. And, and that's often really positive. And there's so much space there to have those conversations. But that extension of the staff room also comes with the extension of some of the more difficult parts of the staff room. And I do, the more that I step into this work and the more that I have these conversations, the more that I do find at times I come up against kind of friction in that space. Do you experience that at all with the things that you share? Um, yes, to an extent. I try as much as possible to not go into those areas because I think that um, Twitter, just like you're reflecting on there, it can be a really valuable place where people do share, but it can be a place where people have um, debates and debate things that shouldn't really happen and you know within our context but also more broadly in terms of education I think that it stops powerful conversations from happening it kind of makes negative conversations happen so I think as far as possible I would try to kind of just disengage and where things are quite, quite negative no not really follow that we um, so as part of the work I do with LGBT ed I do a kind of weekly um, LGBT ed chat uh, which is like a Twitter discussion that we have and um, generally really really lovely and really really positive and the vast majority of uh, the things that are spoken about that I think are just like what you were saying before in terms of sharing resources sharing experiences and sharing positives occasionally very very occasionally there will be somebody who is going on there as a bit of a wrecker and not trying to make positive comments and occasionally things that are um hurtful I suppose you know that not not contributing towards what we would want to happen in the space of LGBTQ plus equality but 
you know, actually from my own experiences of engaging with that, it hasn't been able to derail things. And I've had quite good kind of response from Twitter in terms of shutting it down. I know that not everybody has that all of the time. And I know that sometimes Twitter needs to improve the work that it does in, in closing down those conversations. But um, yeah, my own experiences have been quite positive in terms of that. So I feel really, really lucky. And I think one of the reasons that you've been so successful in all the things that we've described so far, and we've got lots more to talk about, is just your approach to it. Like, um, <laughs> this is another stalker comment like Joe's there. Um, you probably don't remember, but we, we met at the LGBT Ed launch event all those years ago, and you had the most amazing, like, um, sequence. I think it was like a gold shirt, and I thought, oh, guys, a hero. <laughs> um, but you were just a ray of sunshine. You were so positive, and you talked about these things so articulately, but you just bring people with you, and that's the way of doing these things, isn't it? Isn't it? So I think that's why you've been so successful in all the things you've done, and those those weekly polls, it's like a, almost like a book club, isn't it? Where everyone's sharing best practice and ideas and they're really lovely to read through those threads. So if we backpedal a little bit, because you do so many work, so much work in various organisations, but of course within your own school, you do amazing things as well. Um, and one of the things you've spoken about in the book, in the Diverse Educators book, in your chapter, is about the pride groups that you've set up. You've worked collaboratively with colleagues um, and they've led assemblies and done all these amazing things. So perhaps you can tell us a bit about how you set the group up, the impact they've had, kind of what's happened up to this point. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. And you're being far too kind, by the way, but I appreciate it. Thanks. Um, so um, we yeah, in terms of our group in school, the way that it kind of came uh, about was as a result of an assembly that I led on LGBTQ plus history month. Um, we were ta- I talked about my own experience as a gay man and uh, we looked at lots of different kind of historical figures. And um, then the students, you know, I was really pleased with the response that um, the students gave to that particular assembly. It was a really, really nice one. Um, a few months later, at the end of one of my year seven lessons I remember a group of the students came up to me and said um oh sir we'd really like to set up a a group and like we'd really like to have this discussion and I thought wow how amazing like what absolutely fantastic children you know year seven students wanting to start up this own space and have you know this um this opportunity for themselves so I thought well we have to do it like this is something we have to do so it wasn't something that was coming from me necessarily as an educator it was the students coming forward with their own um ideas and I, I'm constantly impressed by what they do and the, the work that they do and their power and the passion and the energy that they bring. Like they, they do so, so much. So it's fantastic. So I kind of banded together with a few colleagues of mine that I thought might be interested in that and want, would want to participate. And I often say to everyone, like, get involved if you want to do so. And we started, I think, just before the end of the academic year, we had started having a few um, meetings and things. And that's been going. And this was around in, I think, about 2017. And it's been going since then. So actually, some of those students are no longer at our school that were initially with us um, and we get you know we get peaks and troughs and some years some years and some groups we get loads of people coming in and sometimes it's a smaller space um, but it's a really really um, just nice opportunity really I think for the students to talk to each other quite a lot of it I think is actually just them having a space like a space where they can safely hang out and talk to each other and discuss things that they might want to do uh, but equally we sometimes will hold like discussions of things that they're interested maybe things that have been happening in the news or things that they've seen um, they love talking about um things on Netflix or like youth culture things and they're teaching me about all kinds of things I don't know about um I know that recently you had uh, people from Heartstopper on and that has been a big discussion the students adore Heartstopper like that's gone down so so well with them which is amazing and really really nice and uh, helpful for those students so that's part of what we do but we also do kind of like mini campaign work and um things that involve them kind of 
looking for more of like a social action perspective so they do fundraising we've done fundraising for world aids day um they collaborate on assemblies we do uh, so we do assembly for world aids day for LGBTQ plus history month and for trans day of visibility every year and the students lead them and they talk in front of all of their peers and when I see them just leading on an assembly uh, in front of like hundreds and hundreds of other children I just think amazing like what, what a great thing for them to do and they they do do so well so I would say it's massively helpful to have like the student kind of input and the student leadership from that um, and the other thing is of course having lots of colleagues in your school to talk to and try to reach out because the impact that we can have really is so much more powerful if you're working with other people so i try to bring people along um, and i try to get people to come into those discussion spaces so we have several members of staff that regularly come along to the meetings as well which is brilliant and then what we might also do is um if staff can't commit to coming all the time but they might want to sometimes drop in and share or talk to the students we'll do that so we might have little q and a's with those members of staff where they want to talk about um, the impacts um, of their own experiences and their lives whether or not they're part the community or their allies um, and um, it's, it's those kind of things that make it happen it's when people work together to produce uh, the work that they do but yeah I find it so exciting and um, interesting and I would definitely say to anyone who's listening and thinking about doing this I know lots of people do and you've spoken to people already that do but if you are thinking of doing it I think it's, it's a really valuable um, opportunity really. What I really love Nick in your chapter in the book is you reflecting on that moment you sort of said how you stood there at the back of the room and watched your group present to 270 students in the room and you kind of flash back in time thinking, can you imagine what the impact would have been for me at school? So I love that kind of contrast. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really one of those moments where I was thinking just for, for a second, I was thinking about some of my own work that I did. And um, I thought back to my secondary school experience and I, I just don't think it could have happened. I mean, um, it wasn't Section 28. For, for most of my secondary school experience, Section 28 had officially gone. Um, I think it was only for the maybe the first month or, or two. I'm showing my age now, aren't I? But um, it kind of, it, 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 it just wouldn't have happened because the, the culture wasn't there. And this is not saying anything against the teachers at my secondary school, what was going on there, because they were fantastic, but just wasn't that that kind of safety and there, there wasn't that capacity to do it um, so I, and I certainly wouldn't have felt able to or, or brave enough to do the kinds of things that um, some of our students do so it was a really powerful moment for me and when I think about what the students are doing and um, and the work that they do it yeah it blows my mind I think mean, they're brilliant I and mean, they're really amazing. I, the more and more I hear about these kind of LGBT groups in schools, the more fascinated I am by them. And I think the community and the compassion they build is so important. Um, I've, I've talked on a podcast before about Adam Eli, who's a Jewish queer writer, um, and they have a book called The New Queer Conscience, which is brilliant. And it argues that queer people anywhere should be responsible for caring for queer people everywhere. But the argument in the book is that as, as a Jewish person, Adam says that they were raised to know their history and to know their community. And that's what built that compassion and that kind of connection with the community. But by the nature of being kind of a queer person, most often we're not raised in a family that teaches us about our history and our community and builds that compassion and connection with them. And that's why I think these kind of groups in schools are so important because they're an opportunity for young people to learn their history, to learn their place in that, and to learn that there is this big community that they are a part of and to start to build compassion and connection with them. What, what's been the impact for you? How has that kind of community space, how have you seen that impact in the young people that you work with? 
Um, so I think what you're saying there about history is a really important one. And it's interesting, isn't it, that a lot of um, the focus in schools is around LGBTQ plus history month. I think um, that's it's no coincidence that reclaiming that history and thinking about what that looks like for our young people is a really, really important topic. Um, and I think it is hugely impactful. But I think uh, for me, a lot of that comes from the co-creation of uh, that narrative amongst the students themselves. So we'll have a discussion and we'll talk about, you know, what's interesting to us, but then the students will very often go off and do some of their own research and bring it back to the group. So that enables them to empower themselves to find out a little bit more about areas that they want to find out about. Um, things that I certainly um, never knew about or, or kind of had that kind of historical context around um, were amazing to learn about. And what some of our students wanted to do was then share their own research in the LGBTQ plus history month assemblies. Um, and that was really fantastic because they were then able to to share it on more of a whole school basis so it wasn't just them having their own conversations within the group but actually taking it a little bit further but I think that they find it empowering because actually um, it enables them to find out more about yeah where we are rooted from where we're grounded from and um, they want to find out about diverse voices as well and they want it to be intersectional and they want to make sure that they learn about um, lots of different historical figures which they do and they find out about it um, but I think the power from it is just the fact that it means so much to them you know it, it's something that they want to know and they want to find out about and the, the way that they're able to share it is just brilliant I mean in our school and I can only speak to you know my own experiences and conversations the history team are are really keen to work on this as well and I know that they're really passionate about ensuring the diversity is uh, kind of respected and reflected within the curriculum and they do a lot of work there but for the students to have their own um impetus in kind of researching and finding out I think it's actually um yeah it's great and it means a lot to them I think and to me too I feel like that empowers me then and it empowers the other staff that go to the club because we find out and we learn from the students and I just love that I think it's brilliant I think that's such an important point because kind of the nature of the LGBTQ plus community, particularly the TQ plus community, is that we are kind of developing new language to be able to explore ourselves and to be able to discuss our identities. And often that change is quite fast paced. And often the younger people know a lot more about it than, than the people of, of our generation. So I guess that space where not only can they learn about their history and, and about through connection with kind of an older generation of teachers, but also you learn so much from them as well. Definitely. Like one thing that our students have been keen to do is um, we have a, a like a display wall board um, in the uh, corridor outside our assembly hall and um, just for our club. And what they want to do is they want to um, update it with different flags about different parts of the community. So they will uh, come in and they'll print off a different flag um, and update it each week and learning about different parts of the LGBTQIA plus community. And what's nice about that is they, um, yeah, as I was saying, they share it with themselves, but also with the whole school, because any student who's walking past that who might not feel like they want to come along to the club, but might also want to learn about something or see what it means to them, um, they have that opportunity to do so. So it's really empowering and um, very, very critical analysis, I think, sometimes coming from these young people. They, they don't want to just accept um, what they're necessarily told. They want to explore it and think about what it means for them and what it means for each other and what it means for the world. So, um, yeah, the, 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 the knowledge is being driven by the young people very often. And that's just fantastic, I think. 
I love that you just use the phrase critical analysis there, Nick, because it really nicely brings in one of the uh, paragraphs you wrote in the book, which I'm going to read out if that's okay, because it talks about the idea of striving for social justice, which I think is great. So I'm going to read this out and then perhaps we can discuss it a little bit. So you've written in this paragraph, Freer has contrasted a transactional teacher-led approach to schooling, which he described as banking education with problem-posing education, which involves a constant unveiling of reality, which I love as a phrase. The former attempts to maintain the submersion of consciousness. The latter strives for the emergence of consciousness and critical intervention in reality. The students' impressive collaboration, celebration and activism around LGBTQ plus equality surely offer engaged critical intervention. I propose that for meaningful community building to occur, it is vital that students' own ideas, experiences, and narratives are championed. I mean, you probably pretty proud of that paragraph, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for reading it out. I really, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, the book is from uh, Diverse Educators and Manifesto, and um, I'm sure. Thank you. And uh, yeah, definitely, um, really, really great book with so many different chapters uh, uh, collated by um, Hannah and Benny about the protected characteristics. And in our chapter, we talk about sexual orientation quite a bit. Um, and it's interesting to hear about uh, the different voices that we have there. But yeah, what, what I suppose I was trying to get at with that comment was that I think that we can do more when we collaborate and work together to have that impact in the world and in society itself. Um, you know, Frere talks about the difference between uh, the banking education where young people are just taught to accept things and or they're taught to learn about things and that's what they do. Um, and I think that that is, um, that is not the way that um, young people learn effectively and meaningfully and powerfully. And I think powerful knowledge is generated when we co-construct meaning together and when we work together. Um, I don't, I think I said in my book chapter, I don't think it was a coincidence that it was after a drama lesson that the students spoke to me about this because they've been looking at um, diverse uh, interpretations of Shakespeare in different productions. And we looked at um, a, a version, I think, that the Globe Theatre put on um, where they recast and they did some gender swapping of some of the characters. And um, that, I think, just is, is starting to have those more open discussions around um you know diversity that I, I think allows the students to talk with each other um, and from those conversations that they have with each other they can do so much more and yeah I mean I think that schools there are so many different examples of clubs um, up and down the country and across the world indeed where students are doing so much more I think because they're collaborating with each other if they were just um, sitting by themselves and thinking mm, this is a shame this isn't the way that things should be or I want things to be better I want to find out more they could go off and do a little bit of research and find out about things but I think where they come together and share their ideas and discuss them with each other they're going to build upon each other's knowledge they're going to challenge each other in terms of their learning and they're going to achieve so much more and their interest in social justice obviously stems from um you know lots of different issues and they're interested in diversity in its broader sense and it's fantastic they want to make a better world but i think it's the fact that they come together to talk about those things and they feel more empowered by the solidarity of each other towards making um a positive change moving forwards so i think it's the it's the collaboration that enables them to do that it's, it's working together and it's the teamwork that's really powerful yeah and I just love that phrase of like a, the emergence of consciousness and actually you're kind of describing a collective consciousness there aren't you for that collaboration and working as a team Mm, they're working they're doing the work together and it's uh, the friendships that emerge I think from uh, them meeting with each other are, are really really lovely but also yeah just going going further because they're doing it with each other I think you know we all, we can all do so much more if we feel supported if we feel like there's a network of people that are out there to help us and we could the work we do is so much better and you know I, I think that applies to young people I think it applies to educators as well.
we're talking there about these kind of spaces for young people to be able to maybe explore their identity, have these conversations, research things further and feel empowered to, to explore. And one of the conversations that Adam and I are really fascinated by at the moment and that we've been talking so much about is this idea around kind of identity within teachers. Um, I think that as a teacher, I probably went kind of five years into my career before I ever really started to consider how my personal identity might intersect with my professional identity. And I think that that conversation is really powerful and should happen a lot earlier. In your career, have you had any experience of anyone kind of discussing this idea of where your personal identity comes together with your identity as a teacher? Um, that's a great question. That's so interesting. And I think it, I think it is really important that we do this. Um, I was thinking back to my training the other day. And um, so I did my I did a PGCE at the Institute of Education. I did English with Drama. It's a, it's a brilliant PGCE. And I think they actually do really value teacher identity within that particular programme that they do. And they want you to reflect on your own experiences and think about how that impacts on uh, the young people that you work with. I remember we did a language autobiography um, where we thought about our own identity and how we can bring that into the classroom and how that can be quite powerful and um, that's my own experience whether or not that is something that's universal across the field of education I genuinely don't know um, I wanted to pursue that further so I did my master's at the IOE as well and as part of that I was kind of um, doing reflective work about my kind of role as a teacher and uh, the importance of thinking about diversity in terms of the curriculum and the text that we study in English lessons or in drama lessons and the work that we do um, I do think the conversations are happening out there I think Twitter is a great space for this and I think there are networks there are um, charities there are lots of organizations where it happens and um, how consistently that is the case I don't know myself I'm not you know I don't have the research on that I don't know how far other people um, have those experiences certainly from some of the discussions that we have on LGBT ed chat I think that they need to happen more frequently I think that it's so much more powerful if we're um, empowered to think about yeah the, the, those intersections between our own identities and what we bring to the classroom but what I would say is the more that educators can be empowered to feel authentic the more that they can do and I can absolutely say that as I've felt more comfortable to be um, empowered to feel like an authentic version of myself in my school, the better I've become as a teacher. You feel less um, hampered, you feel um, less uh, restricted, you feel like you can be uh, more energised, you feel like you can talk more expressively and freely and openly, um, you feel like you can have conversations with your colleagues and they can support you in terms of it. And I think that um, where, yeah, where those opportunities um, exist to support educators to feel more um, celebrated and to feel like they can do more I think that it's it's just really important that we grab those opportunities because you you can do so much better where you feel like you can be yourself you really can that is such a good answer and like Joe said we've been talking about this a lot recently it's really been an idea that stuck with us and we want to explore some more and I really love that idea that you described there because actually it relates to a lot of what our guests have said when you're able to be more authentic and open in the classroom all the energies that are required for that information management or kind of you know concealing can then be used on the actual job and actually that's when you become a better teacher you become happier and all those things come with it and as part of this conversation, Joe and I had a really interesting chat with uh, Ashley Walters, who's a former guest on the show. She's a, a lecturer at the Nottingham Trent University. And we've talked this week about the different types of identities we have within school. And this is uh, her great description of it. So she said, you kind of have three identities. You kind of have, uh, for me, Mr. Brett in the classroom, that's your teacher identity. 
And there's Adam Brett, the teacher identity here in the staff room, the things that you're willing to share with staff. And then what she brilliantly described is the, the pajama self, the version just Adam at home. And that's, you know, that different identity as well. And we kind of picture this idea of like three circles overlapping, like a sort of three-layered Venn diagram and trying to think about which of those aspects do and don't we include in those different spaces. So that's not really a question so much as some thoughts we've had this week, but I think it's a really interesting development of that discussion thinking about identity. Yeah, I really agree with um, what you said there. And it is interesting to think about um, those questions. I think they're not often discussed. I think that it's almost just assumed that you you will understand what is relevant and what you can talk about and what you shouldn't and how you can do some of those things. But actually, I think it would be valuable for us as a profession if we were en to enter into some of these uh, discussions uh, more freely. Um, it is something that we've been discussing more recently. So um, I was describing earlier on, I think, about the Diverse Educators, that first conference that we attended with some colleagues and we've been to them. Uh, more recently and we wanted to have an opportunity to talk about that more um, in um, as staff because you know I've been describing a little bit earlier on about um, doing that and doing some of the work with our young people and with our students um, with the club that we've set up but actually I think as staff it's really really important that we have those opportunities to talk about what our authentic selves look like and what that means and our own experiences in the classroom so what we did was we decided that we wanted to do some more of those conversations and we have like a diverse educators um kind of mini group that we host within our school um, and we meet um well it depends on how we do it. you know sometimes we get we all get very busy we don't meet that often but at the moment we really are meeting quite a lot and we're, we're currently looking at the uh, manifesto book um as part of our discussions that we've been having but in those meetings it really enables us to kind of thrash out some of those conversations and some of those discussions and think about what what it what it feels like as um, educators ourselves and um what we can talk about and and bring some of those conversations in i think you know if we if we were not having um opportunities to talk with each other we wouldn't be able to do so much and we all you know the people that attend this group that we have we all have our own thing our projects within us school that we try to do you know whether it's thinking about the curriculum or whether it's thinking about the support for teachers or whether it's thinking about um the equity offer that we provide for some of our students um you know we all we all have our projects and we talk about them we talk about the work that we do but i think if we didn't have that kind of communal space where we were able to reflect and discuss with each other what it feels like and what it looks like um a it just wouldn't be as nice because it's nice to talk to people. It's nice to discuss ideas. But B, I don't think we'll be able to do it in such a powerful way because you can then bring and share your, your ideas and talk about what it feels like and then challenge each other, but also support each other, which is great. Definitely. And I really think that conversation about that, I think the discussion of intersectionality there is so important because we describe what professional identity is in kind of quite broad strokes. But actually, if you're a minority identity, it's not an equal playing field. Um, and one of the things we talked about this week is like, you know, heteronormativity schools coming for it, silently assume that you're heterosexual or cisgender. If you're heterosexual and describe your partner, wife, for example, that's not considered discussing sexuality. Whereas if you're, you know, LGB, it might be considered revealing or bringing in an inappropriate conversation to school. So actually, that's not an equal playing field, is it? And use the word equity there. So it's, it's, it's empowering people to know what can and can't be talked about and making sure the culture is there so people feel comfortable in that as well. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think it's so good to yeah to, to discuss it with each other, and you feel like if you if you don't have a space where you can talk to other people about those kind of questions that you're discussing there, then 
you you are feeling alone in that situation and you're feeling like you can't actually do so much but yeah where where there are colleagues and I I understand that I'm very lucky I'm in a position where you know I work with other colleagues who who want to have these conversations and want to have these discussions um you mean Abibi for example is one of my colleagues who wrote in the book as well um and she she talked very powerfully about gender um within her own experiences of schools but what 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 it does is where we are able to talk to each other um, it enables us to see oh yes your experiences matches mine in some way they're very different from mine in other ways but we can find some similarities or we can find places where we can support and offer our solidarity for each other but it's it's through being able to kind of hash those out with the people that you work with day in day out to actually um you know to say to the colleagues this is a struggle i'm having or this is something i'm wanting to work on or this is something that's going really really well and um uh, yeah it's it's so great way you can talk to other professionals about those it's really empowering it's interesting for me I kind of write down notes as we go through and all of the words that I've written down seem to begin with a c I've got kind of like community connection conscious consciousness like these ideas and I think that all of these different spaces um twitter lgbt ed diverse educators the groups within your school they are kind of, as Adam said, these emerging collective consciousness. And I think that, um, I just think that the question I suppose is, how do we bring more people into those spaces? So we're having this conversation, this goes out to however many listeners choose to listen to this conversation. Do you have any kind of ideas or thoughts on what we do to extend that now to maybe the people who aren't involved in this conversation about how we can make education more inclusive? I think you raise a really, really integral point there. I think that the people that are going to opt into these sessions are the people who are necessarily really interested in them. Um, and that, that's a good thing. And there should be opportunities for that. And there should be spaces where colleagues who are already on board are able to have some of those conversations and talk to each other. You know, I, I think that I don't think that's a bad thing in and of itself. I think it's a really good thing. I think where colleagues want to do that, then that's great. But equally, everybody should be having these discussions equity diversity that's everyone's business that's about ensuring that every single person is respected and has the best experiences so that is a priority in my opinion for schools and colleges and education settings up and down the country and across the world it, it just has to be so i agree that we need to make sure that those conversations are going beyond the immediate of the people who are opting into having some of those discussions to actually happening at a broader level because if it's only individual people or small groups of people then the impact you're going to have in that work is necessarily going to be limited isn't it um it's going to be powerful and it's going to be empowering for those people, but you're not going to be able to do as much as you want to do. So I agree with you. I think it's important that we go a little bit further. And from my perspective, some of the ways that um, you can do that is by trying to expand your reach beyond the immediate and to go a little bit further. So that's why I think Twitter is a good space for this, because you can have a broader reach, even if it is with some people with similar perspectives uh, to your own, because you can talk a little bit more uh, deeply. Within education settings themselves, I would say, therefore, you start to think about the power dynamics that are within the uh, context that you're operating in. Do you have a conversation with your school senior leadership team, for 
example? Do you talk about the reality of the Equalities Act 2010, where we do need to ensure that there is equality for everybody within the protected characteristics? Do you remind your team that that is something that needs to happen? And do you find uh, that those spaces are going to be ones that are genuinely discussed? So I don't think that it is. It should, for instance, an opportunity to discuss uh, the issues and questions of uh, diversity and inclusion within schools. They are not only going to be opt-in spaces, but they should, in my opinion, be part of a compulsory offer for staff continuing professional learning, because actually, every single person it's their business and it should be their business and i think that you yes you can try and get buy-in by saying to colleagues you know these things are really important um but you also need to state to them unequivocally in my opinion this is your legal duty you you are required to treat people without discrimination and to promote equality within your context it isn't an optional thing you have to do it and i think that reminding people of the duty that they have to do some of those things and insisting upon the work that they do is going to be important you know i must say i do feel very lucky because i don't think i have to have so many of those conversations within my my own context so i think that luckily you know as i've described before we do have a good network of people who want to discuss and have some of these conversations but i see on Twitter and I see in other contexts that is not the universal experience there are plenty of places where people are coming up against challenges so I think it's important that where that happens it's really essential that the teams that are the leadership teams and the people who have the positions of power and authority within those contexts ensure and insist upon the work of equity and inclusion being mandatory for everyone I think it's really really important I'm smiling, which is probably not the right response to that you've been saying there, Nick, but I'm smiling because um, in our previous episode with David Lowbridge-Ellis, we joked actually everyone should listen to his podcast as like a piece of CPD because it was packed with so many like practical things. And that's this is what this conversation is. You're explaining, you know, the legalities, the sort of serious side of it. But you're giving so many really clear, tangible, practical things that people can do in their schools to develop these more equitable, inclusive spaces. I think that's brilliant. And your use of the word power there was so interesting because often the resistance to some of these changes often is it sits higher at the school. And I've heard other people say what's been really effective in their schools is to ask one of the governors to have a lead on LGBT and kind of hold the school to account. And I think that can be quite a powerful and effective way of making sure that those people that are in power are kind of being, um, you know, like I say, held to account and uh, are discussing those things at those regular meetings. Yeah, definitely. You, where where you find where there, there is going to be a work, uh, a, an opportunity for you to have an impact, whatever that looks like within your own context, and you go with it, and you run with it, and you go further. And you know, within my own context, like I said before, the, the senior leadership team are open to having these discussions, and that's brilliant. At other contexts, it's going to be the governors. At other contexts, it might be the middle leaders. At other contexts, it might be individual classrooms. That you know, do you find what you what you can do, and you go with it, and you run with it. And I think it, you know, you can have a yeah massive impact where you do that. I think the word that really stood out for me from from kind of what you've been saying is you use the word duty, and that kind of reminded me of a conversation we had with Kirsty Stubbs in the first series of our podcast, where she said that she sees this work as her moral duty, not only as an educator, but as a person. And one of the other really interesting points that she made is that within education, all protected characteristics are protected, but within classrooms and schools there has been historically this element of choice where some schools do a lot more to protect certain characteristics than they do others and I think there's quite nuanced reasons for that but this is what I think is really special and and I talk so much about how brilliant Hannah and Benny are and the work they're doing with diverse educators but 
what's really special about Hannah and Benny's work, about the work of diverse educators and, and your work as part of that community, is that it brings together those protected characteristics because each of those groups experiences that marginalization and experiences that discrimination. And that comes with empathy for their own community because they've experienced it. But by bringing those protected characteristics together through diverse educators, we can kind of start to build that empathy between those characteristics because, you know, as a, as, um, as a non-binary person, I am marginalized. But if we connect those protected characteristics and we look at age, disability, sex, gender, race, religion, suddenly we become a global majority. And if we can have empathy, not just for our own characteristic, but for everyone within that, which I think is what Diverse Educators does and what, and what their book does, then we can really start to build a much broader community that are all working to try and make education more inclusive and more diverse for all people. 100%. Um, you leave any kind of events or training or engaging with anything done by diverse educators feeling 10 times taller, 10 times more powerful, 10 times more empowered, like you just do. And it, they, I mean, uh, a, that comes from Hannah and Barrett, Benny being absolute legends and being, you know, forces to be reckoned with and just being so, so lovely and wonderful. Um, but the coming together of different people um, from different groups and from intersecting groups um, is huge. It's so impactful. And, um, you know, yes, I, I, as a gay man, I certainly um, experience discrimination and it's great for me to be able to talk about my experiences and what colleagues could do to help me. But I'm aware that I also have immense amounts of privilege, um, you know, as a white cisgender man I certainly do and that means that I can learn so much more from uh, from what other people's experiences are at the same time I my practice has hugely been developed from learning from what some of those other people have been telling me um so I've gained from it um, immeasurably not necessarily even just by talking about my own protective characteristics but, but learning about other people and what their own experiences are too it's not a zero-sum game you don't trade off one uh aspect of identity for another you learn so much more by doing this work and it's absolutely fantastic but yeah I think what you're talking about there is absolutely right you stick a huge group of people with different experiences and you kind of unite them bring them together and you can have um, massive impact you can do so much more so yeah it's, it's it's really valuable and I think those spaces that exist are just brilliant ones it's it's fantastic and that's why I think the the value of collaborating and networking is so so important it's teamwork isn't it it's bringing people together and it's fantastic Fantastic. Nick, I don't know how many hours you have in the day to do all the things that you've described in this podcast. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and there's another thing that's keeping you very busy that we've not talked about, which is a PhD. Um, so we'd love to hear a bit about your topic, um, kind of where you're up to with that, some of your findings. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm really enjoying the PhD. So that's something that I'm doing as a way of exploring and reflecting on my own practice uh, within schools. Um, I mentioned earlier on that I'm a drama teacher and I love that part of my work. I think it's really, really interesting and enjoyable and engaging. Um, so I'm in researching my own practice. I'm looking at the, um, the pedagogical strategy of teacher in role, where you kind of assume a character and you interact with young people from the perspective of that character. Um, and I've been starting to do that work. It's, it's only my first year of the PhD and 
was going to go on for lots of uh, lots of years, <laughs> kind of going onwards. I was talking earlier on about when I did my PGCE at the IOE and the fact that um, some of those emerging conversations that we were having were about how your own um, identity as a teacher can impact on your classroom practice and impact on the text that you bring into schools or the work they do with young people. Um, and I do think that that's a really, um, yeah, a tangible thing and a valuable thing and an important thing to um, reflect on. And that's something I think I want to continue to do. So as part of my work, I've been starting to journal and uh, keep a teach journal about some of um, the reflections that I've been having. And I think that it's interesting because I think that being able to feel more authentically myself, this is one example of a way in which it impacts on my uh, kind of classroom practice. So when I first started teaching and then I started um, finding opportunities to use drama in the classroom, I felt like I couldn't do everything that I wanted to do. I couldn't take on certain roles or I couldn't um, inhabit certain discussions um, because I think potentially I was feeling like I have to keep some form of a veneer up or, you know, hold up a certain way of being. But um, the more I've support been supported to feel more authentic and confident in myself, the more I feel like I've been able to experiment more in the classroom and try different things out. So now I can do little funny roles and different characters and voices and with the young people that we do. And I think it's so much more powerful. And, and in one of my journeys, I would, that I was writing about some of the work that I've been doing like uh, with teacher in role I was reflecting on how the young people sometimes bring up questions of diversity in that and they uh, interact with me and one of my characters I was playing um, a woman who owns a scary haunted house and they were saying to the woman you know um, what if why are you um, living alone in this house your name is Mrs don't you have a husband or a wife and I was just thinking how amazing these young people are talking about those things and having those discussions and I think that you know one of the arguments I'm thinking about potentially making is about how drama can free up people to have more um, open conversations. The fictional space um, that you exist within kind of allows you to explore things that you might not otherwise feel uh, more kind of open and able to talk about. Um, so it's a really interesting kind of part of my research that I want to definitely kind of dive into a little bit more and think about more um, kind of going forwards. But something that I'm really, really enjoying and I, I found really interesting to talk about so far. So yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in that. And I think that a, a big part of this, and I think a big part of everything that uh, many teachers do is going to be thinking, moving forwards about ourselves and what we bring into the work that we do as educators. Um, so yeah, really, really um, fun, really interesting. It's a big project, lots to do, but I'm looking forward to doing it. I'm always so amazed by people who are balancing so many things. Adam's one of them, and it sounds like you are also one of them. All the work that you're doing that we've talked about today, there's such a breadth to your work so I guess our last question then might require you to think about what kind of the highlights are of that breadth of work for you what is the best thing about being an LGBT teacher oh what a lovely question I really like that question and it is something I really enjoy um I think for me um a really big part of it and a big conversation I know that we we're having earlier on is about community but it is feeling part of a community um I think where you are not um able to feel authentic and um like you are being yourself in a genuine sense I think a big thing that you lost is the connections that that supports you to feel with other people I think because you feel like you're in a little bit of a silo and you don't have those opportunities to work with other people but being 
if able to feel more free and open and authentic just opens up so many possibilities it allows you to work uh, more authentically with your colleagues with people that you might interact with outside of school um, and indeed with the young people that you work with I think it provides all kinds of opportunities for thinking about you know genuine connections with your colleagues across the school and beyond and I think that it's just a really really exciting thing to, to be I feel very very lucky to be um, a gay man like I love it I think it's fantastic and um, feeling authentic and honest and open about yourself and your own identity is just a great thing um, I would absolutely encourage um, everybody who's thinking about this you know just to think about what you can do within your, your yourself and the context that you're in um, and um, I feel just really really lucky to um, feel that I'm able to um, do some of the things that I, I can do and say some of the things that I say and be, be you know be authentic and be myself I just love it I just absolutely brilliant um, and I think it is obviously important that you have people alongside you that you can talk to about this and that's why you know I think the community is really really important um, but yeah I feel incredibly lucky and um, yeah I just love it. That was such a good answer. I want that like printing on a t-shirt or like embroidering on a pillow or something like that was perfect. It, it captures so nicely everything we've talked about today. Oh, thank yeah. you. I've loved it. It's been such a nice morning. Thank you very much. You, no. you are so hopeful and positive and joyful. And when Adam and I started this podcast, we said that we wanted it to be a hopeful conversation about this kind of reimagining of education. And, and today that's what it's really been. I feel really hopeful coming away from it. And I think that theme of community has, has spread throughout the conversation. And for anyone listening to this podcast, we've mentioned and kind of highlighted a few communities that are there for you to tap into through Twitter, LGBT, diverse educators, communities within your own school. And what's really exciting for me is thinking about at the beginning of my career, when I maybe started to follow you on Twitter and started to engage in this work, to see how each of those communities has grown and the people it's supporting has grown and the hopeful conversations that it's holding have grown makes me feel really excited about education. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it is exciting. Like, what an exciting field to work in, education. It's about thinking about what's coming next in the future. And I do I do feel incredibly optimistic. You know, when you talk to young people and when you talk to your colleagues and they discuss with you what they want the world to look like and what they think is going to come next, I just feel really optimistic. I just think that what's coming next is going to be so, so exciting. And I know that there's all kinds of challenges. And I know that, you know, so many of people within our community in particular, um, you know, I know that trans and non-binary people and the society that we're um, existing with and grappling with at the moment is a real, real challenge. But when I talk to young people, that is what provides that sense of opportunity and that note, that note of optimism for me. And I, I just can't wait to see the great changes that we're going to be able to make in the world. It's going to be fantastic. This has been such a hopeful, positive, optimistic conversation, Nick. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. What a joyful person to spend an hour talking to. So hopeful, so positive, but also kind of so committed and doing so much work with all these different communities. Definitely. That felt like an injection of like sunshine, energy, positivity, motivation. <laughs> There's lots of other words I could use, but there was just so much that Nick does there that we can kind of think about how we can incorporate into our own practice. There's so many great examples. I think he's such a great role model, doing amazing work in his school. And Nick's right. Why shouldn't it be positive? What mm -hmm. we're doing is positive work. We should feel positive about it. Yeah. And I think his answer at the end there to our final question captured that beautifully.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, we'd be really grateful if you could leave a review or a five-star rating. This really helps other educators to find these stories. If you want to continue the conversation or comment on this week's episode, you can find us on Twitter at Pride Progress. Thanks for listening.